0: Good morning, Quest. It's great to spend time with you on such a beautiful day. It feels like late April and February. How awesome is that? I'm excited today as we continue to make progress on our Forward Initiative, and I'd like to talk to you about that for just a second here as we continue to pray and continue to make progress there. We've had some issues of our podcast over this last week, so a number of you were not able to listen to messages online. Thank you for letting us know. We believe uh, we have that resolved now i'm so thankful to Stephen Barnes and Zach for all their great effort in working with the company to get things fixed uh, and they'll continue to monitor that in case we have additional problems so uh, I was also recently asked uh, I also recently asked Zach for some stats and uh, on our podcast and i, I haven 't done that for several years. I was actually really shocked to find out on average we range over a thousand podcast downloads a week that was uh Really shocking to me because I hadn't checked for a number of years, and last time I checked, we were 100 to 150 a week. And and so as we continue to make progress in the Forward Initiative, i, I, I got to tell you, I'm really excited about getting to the place where we can update this space that we're in and get it ready for video so we can video the entire service and eventually live stream our services to minister more effectively to our remote listeners and uh, so we've initiated uh, that project, uh, or actually we're waiting to initiate that project until more money comes in. Uh, we've already had a lot of pledges, and thank you. We're just waiting for more of that money to come in and, and get us to the point where we can initiate that. And if you'd like to help us get there faster, I want to encourage you to go to our website or through the Quest app and uh, just let us know you're going to help us by giving a little more each month uh, to the Forward campaign. Thank you for your generosity on that. As we get into today's message, I want to first ask you a question. If you have a pen and paper in your hand, I encourage you to write down the answer. So not counting your family or how many close friends do you have? Write a list of your close friends, again, not including your spouse, your dog, your parents, your siblings, your kids, no imaginary friends, no favorite sports news anchor that you listen to all the time and feel like you're buddies with. How many people do you have that you could could call at 2 a.m. in the morning and be transparent with, that they know you really well and you know them really well? Today, as we begin to wrap up up our Refresh series, we want to start the year off by doing a series that could help each of us set our lives and our families up for a really great 2017. And today and next week, we conclude the series by focusing on refreshing our friendships. According to a study published by American Sociological Review, the average American today has two close friends. And that study showed a full 25% of people have just one close friend. And a number of people would say they have no close friends. Now, I suspect we may possibly in this room be slightly above average, but I suspect when I asked you to write down your close friends or to think about that, many of you thought about two or fewer names. And the interesting part of that is just 25 years ago, on average, a similar study said that Americans had six close friends. In two and a half decades, that's a 66% decline. So what is it that keeps us from deeply connecting in friendship with others? I mean, we know we are created for a relationship with God and with others for deep friendship. I mean, even the wisdom of Proverbs 18 highlights the danger of a lack of friendship. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, if we isolate and don't have good friendships, we live as selfish fools harming ourselves and others. See, here's the truth. Life is better when we live it with deep friendships, and life breaks down when we don't. So today in part one of Refreshing Our Friendships, we are going to deal with identifying the common barriers that keep us from vital friendship. And as a church, friendship is one of our strongest values. We continually grow into stronger and better experiences of friendship and relationship with each other and the world around us, and that's what we're pursuing. I, I'm so proud, even this last week, I heard about another group of men getting together more intentionally, more often, to intentionally seek deep friendship and to grow together. And I just want to say, way to go, Quest, for continuing to grow in that so well. But as, as we get into this, would you just pause for a second with me as we pray and ask God to come and help us continue to grow in this. Lord, we ask that you'd come, that your spirit would be with us. We know you're here, but Lord, I pray that you would guide our thoughts and our minds and our hearts right now, and that for each of us, that you would help us to see something in today that would help us move forward in deeper friendships in better friendships, and that we would experience the good that you have for us in that arena in life, both with you and with others around us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Allow me, as we get started, to give a little bit of credit to Rick Warren. I, I'm borrowing some of the ideas of how he approached talking about this really, truly profound biblical passage that we're going to look at today. See, the heart of the gospel and being a follower of Jesus is he reconciles us and heals us, restoring us back to the way we were originally created to be and all of the goodness that he created. So today, to identify those barriers to deep friendships, we're going to go all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, to look at Adam and Eve and examine what broke that original goodness and how that still tends to break and damage our relationships today. Wendy noted a couple of weeks ago that God didn't create the universe and create us as humans because he was lonely and needed something, but because God is love. And God's creative nature is always looking for ways to show that love. So God made Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden, a perfect place where everything he could possibly need or want was located. But the Genesis account tells us, even in that perfect place, he was lonely. Adam noticed the animals and named the animals, but he was still lonely. There was still something lacking. Have you ever wondered about that passage? Have you ever wondered why God didn't just create Adam and Eve at the same time? Why just Adam and then only after Adam realized he was lonely did he create Eve? Uh, There's probably many reasons, but I think there's at least two likely reasons. First, I think God wanted Adam to recognize what he needed in life. I mean, sometimes, isn't it true, we need to recognize our need before we can rightly fulfill that need? And... I suspect God made Adam and then thought, as good as he is, I can do better. So he made a woman out of Adam's side. If you think about it, this is probably why men don't mind getting dirty and women tend to not like dirt. I mean, women were created by God from dirt, right? And the woman was created from the side of man. And and there's there's a symbolism in there for us that's meaningful. God created Adam's partner for life, not from his feet that he should lord it over, not Not from his head that she should lord it over him, but he took her from his side next to his heart so that they would live life side by side in a relationship of deep love. Things went along great for a long time. There was no sin, no sickness, no sadness, no sorrow, no suffering, no manipulating, no jealousy, no lying, no angry arguments. None of these things were in their relationship. But as the story progresses in Genesis, we see Satan comes to Eve and he says to her, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Just one tree is off limits. Everything else is there for the good of Adam and Eve. And Satan goes on to lie to Eve, tempting her to not trust God and become God, the judge herself by saying, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, the sense of jealousy towards God, a knowing good and evil. You see, this is the center point of all temptation in this life. Satan tempts us to believe God is unreliable, lying. His intention in his commands is jealous, evil, withholding the good to which we are entitled. So today, we think we are entitled to sex as we want, entitled to pregnancy and abortion as we want, entitled to the entertainment we want, the food, the drink, the beliefs, the language we want. Because why? Because we say we know better. What we're asserting is that the God who created everything in the universe is incapable of communicating to us reliably through his Bible, or we're communicating that God is regressive, and we really know better, so we don't need to trust his commands. And if we really think about it, both of those are illogical assertions. And yet so many intelligent people in our world believe these illogical assertions that God is incapable of giving us reliable truth that endures even through imperfect writers who wrote it down in the Bible. You see, if God can create the atom and the electrons and and he can place the planets in orbit and he can create the DNA in you that brings life and health and growth, then he certainly is capable of giving us reliable communication through the Bible. But Satan always plays to our distrust of God distrusting his abilities, his intentions, and, and he tempts you and I to become our own God, the master of our own universe, and to trust our judgment and our little pea brains more than God's. Eve fell for that line. Let's read more of the story. So Eve took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. See, this is where shame enters into creation. There had never been shame, fear, guilt prior to this moment. Uh, So it goes on and says, they sowed fig leaves to cover themselves. Sin and shame drives us, it compels us to cover up. Uh, Think about that. This idea was a completely foreign concept to Adam and Eve. They were the epitome of the ideal pure Innocent, beautiful, nudist colony with a no shame, no fear, no concern, no threat, no worry, not feeling any sense of vulnerability in the state they were in at all. You see, when the cool evening breezes, it goes on to say, were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Again, we see fear cropping up. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me. Uh, Does anyone get the humorous irony in that statement? It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. And then God goes on to say in the verses that follow that because you sinned, things are now broken now, and you will have to live in a cursed world where things don't work as well as they were created to work. To the woman, he said, one of the things broken will be that you will have greater pain and difficulty with childbirth. And all the moms said, amen. And to Adam, he says, God, God." he says that because you sinned, you and your wife, all the work you do, the soil, the planting, the growing of things, they'll not work as nicely and smoothly as they were created to work. There'll be weeds, there'll be problems, thistles, pain, difficulties. So work will be much more difficult than it was created to be. And so we blame Adam and Eve for weeds in our lawns and our fields today. There are so many truths in this about the cosmos, about God, about you and I, about how the world works, but today, let's just focus for a moment on the relational truths that affect each and every one of us, whether it's in marriage, in friendship, in family, or in our work relationships. See, within the text, there are three fundamental fears that crop up that become barriers to deep friendship. For some, these fears are strong, maybe even severe, maybe even debilitating. But for others, uh, maybe many of us, they're quite subtle. And you can go through life not easily identifying them at work in your life, but they are there. And if allowed to take control, even subtly, they gradually erode the quality and the continued growth of our, our, our relationships and friendships. See, the first fear is the fear of exposure that makes me stay distant in relationships. Uh, have you ever wrestled with the following questions, especially like after I, after you're asked to list your friends like I did a few moments ago and, and you realize that I really don't have any close friends. I don't have anyone I could call at 2 a.m. and be really real with. So the, the question we have to ask ourselves is, why can't I get close to people? Or why can I only get so close? You see, it's because all of us wrestle with this fear of exposure that drives us to stay distant, that puts up walls and personal boundaries that others cannot cross and we cannot let down. See, the truth is there are things you don't like and you don't accept about who you are that you fear will also not be accepted or liked by others. So those parts of you stay distant from others. Verses 9 and 10 in Genesis 3 highlight this. The Lord God said, called to the man and said, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid, and I was afraid. Now, think about this for a moment. Is God asking the question because he doesn't know the answer to already to the question, where are you? I mean, no, God, God's not asking the question for his own benefit. He asks questions for our benefit. God knows hiding and distance is destructive. He invites us out into the open into a relationship that can heal us by asking us questions. He wants Adam to own up and to accept responsibility for his sin. Why? To condemn him? No, to set him free from the shame and guilt so that he can stop hiding in fear. You see, refreshing in our relationships often begins with owning our sin, facing our fears, coming out of hiding in order to find forgiveness, new hope, new energy, and new growth. See, as long as you think this is as good as it gets in relationship with my boss, I just better hide my mistakes and displeasure because it isn't worth rocking the boat, then then you will continue to hide and, and you may lose out on much of the blessing God has for your life. As long as you think my marriage or my friendship is as good as it's going to get because I don't know if I can be better. I don't know if they can grow and be better. I don't know if they can, he or she can handle the t- hidden truth of what I'm disappointed in in my life or in theirs and our relationship, then then you'll stay hidden. So it starts with owning up and taking responsibility and coming out into the open, answering God's questions in our lives. The text says, I was afraid and I hid. Fear causes us to hide. What are you hiding today in your relationships what are you pretending? Isn't a problem in your marriage, your, your your friendships at work, or your or your friendships in the community? What are you hiding that you are pretending isn't a problem in your life? You see, God doesn't want us to fake it till we make it because we never make it when we fake it. We just carry these heavy burdens of shame and fear and hopelessness that God wants to refresh and take away from us. You see, the text also says, "I was naked." What does it mean to be naked? I mean, God's certainly talking about more than physical nakedness. There's, there's an emotional and relational nakedness. I mean, to be naked means to be exposed, to be uncovered, to be vulnerable. And we know that you are never more vulnerable than when you are naked. It's just, it's just out there for all to see, right? And it also means you're authentic. You're out in the open, the real, raw you with nothing to hide. Rick Warren says it this way. He says, one of your deepest needs is to be loved. But one of your deepest fears is the fear of being seen for what you really are. You see, it's possible to live with a family member, a boss or a husband or a wife for 50 years and keep secrets hidden from them because you were afraid they would not accept that part of your life. Just living with someone doesn't mean they are seeing all of you. Let's ponder that for a moment just a little bit more, that fear, what fear does to our relationship, because it leads us down at least three destructive paths and kind of three steps in a sense. The first step is shame. We see it in verse 7, once Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the first thing that entered their relationship was shame. Fear is often based in shame. When you live with shame, you're easily embarrassed. You fear embarrassment more than almost anything, and you are angry and protective of others when embarrassing things happen. Shame makes you self-conscious, nervous, fearful of being humiliated. So you avoid at all costs any risk or any situation that could result in embarrassment. You may even be resistant to asking for help when you don't know something for fear of embarrassment. Step two is covering up. When we feel shame we cover up who we really are. We may not do it by sewing fig leaves together like they talked about in the scripture, but we have lots of different ways we cover up who we really are in life. What are the ways that you use to cover up your fears, your shame, your insecurities? Is it humor? Being the class clown so no one can get close to you? Maybe it's defensiveness, the need to always be right. Or, or is it avoiding certain conversations? You, you paint yourself as this easygoing peacemaker, well, but, but the truth really is you just don't want to talk about some things because it's too threatening. Is it makeup, how you dress? Always put together on the outside so people will never know you aren't put together on the inside. Uh, is it family rules about which you can and can't talk, the, the, those rules that say you can talk about this, but you can't talk about that in public. And and, and you know those rules because if you break them in your family, all hell breaks loose in, in either anger towards you or your family freezes you out. And, and and yet sometimes you hear other people talking about those same things that your family says you can't talk about in public, and and you just wish you could talk about it openly like, they do. Today, a lot of people hide behind an online image that paints themselves as happy, successful, wanted, popular. And yet in the evening, you find yourself depressed and anxious and sad. And even now and then, you you find yourself thinking, if they only knew. God wants to help us come out of hiding and experience vibrant, growing friendships. The third step that often happens when we fear exposure after shame and cover-up is distancing yourself from God. Verse 8, they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Uh, this is really kind of sadly humorous. I mean, think about it. Hiding from the God who created all that exists, who's omnipresent and omniscient. Uh, this is this is kind of like my kids when they were toddlers, playing hide and seek, covering their eyes with their hands, sitting in the middle of the room, or taking part of a blanket sitting in the middle of the room and putting it over their heads and, and thinking that you can't see them. And we do this as Adults, don't we, all too often? Fear of exposure causes us to not only disconnect from others and live with less than God wants in our relationship with others, it also causes us to disconnect and hide from God. See, God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does invite you out of your hiddenness into honesty. So our first fear is being exposed and it causes us to hide and our second fear that becomes a barrier to deep friendship that we also see in Adam and Eve and what we see in us is, and that's this, the, the, the fear of disapproval, which makes me defensive. You see, we move from running and covering up to active, active attack and defensiveness. We're, we're no longer hiding, we're, we're actively hurting others. We're no longer just simply making internal excuses, but we're accusing others the more I fear disapproval, the more I will point at other people, and the stronger I will fight to make sure they know they are the problem and they are wrong. See, if you're uncertain, if this applies to you, then let me give you a couple ways to maybe think if this fear, think about this fear possibly being present in your life. And first, I, wanna, I want you to maybe go back and think about your Facebook posts that you've made over the last nine months, especially the political ones and the memes that you've posted or liked or shared. And then I want you to take a look at those posts and think, okay, if I was of the opposite political persuasion on those issues, allow yourself to feel in that moment. If my political foe posted this about me and my views on my timeline, would I feel respected and valued and loved and listened to and understood even though we disagree? See, if you can't say that you would feel valued or respected or listened to, then it's very possible and likely that the fear of disapproval which makes you defensive is an issue holding back your relationships in communication. See, God wants to bring new strength and energy to your life to free you to live healthier, more at peace, and he also wants to make you more of a peacemaker. Or what about this? Think about this. When's the last time you apologized for something? You said, I'm sorry, not not in a flippant way just to, to end the conversation. We, we all do that sometimes. But you said with clarity, this is what I did, and that hurts you in this way and cost you this kind of cost in your life. And I was wrong, and I sinned against you, so please forgive me. See, God asks, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Adam took it like a man. He blamed his wife. Actually, he's not blaming his wife alone, is he? He's actually blaming God. You gave me this woman. God, if you hadn't made this woman for me and and made her so beautiful and seductive, I would be okay with you right now. We'd actually be besties at this moment, right? Right? Adam is blaming God even for his own sin, just like we often do when our thoughts or our words are saying, God, if life were easier, I wouldn't lose it and be angry. If you hadn't brought death into my life, if you, if you hadn't allowed injustice, if my spouse just wouldn't fight with me so much, I wouldn't get so angry. And, and, and even though it was humanity's sin, our sin, your sin that broke creation, and brought death and injustice and power struggles into being. We blame God. But Eve doesn't woman up either, does she? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and and that's why I ate. And and implied in that is the serpent you made, the one thing that you made, God, that you allowed to exist is, is the reason why I did this and sinned. You see, our fear of disapproval makes us Defensive. It happens at work. It happens in marriage and family relationships and friendships. We are drawn to defensiveness when anyone says anything that hints of disapproval. And even if you start with hiding, you end up eventually attacking back. You accuse, you excuse, you say something sarcastic or whatever it is, and it damages our relationships. My fear of exposure makes me distant, and my fear of disapproval makes me defensive. And the third fear that we find in this text that's a barrier to deep friendship is my fear of losing control makes me demanding. Some might argue, and many do, that the result of Adam and Eve's sin here made them lose control. I mean, they lost control of everything, of their future. They were kicked out of paradise. They lost control of the guaranteed production of the crops in the ground. They even lost control of their very own life and bodies as sickness and death now came into the world. See, the more you feel out of control, the more controlling and demanding you typically, typically become. You're driven to get all of your ducks in a row. And frankly, that's okay if you want to get all your ducks in a row right now because my Oregon ducks are doing really well in basketball. And if you want to join me in cheering for them in the NCAA tournament, I'd be just really happy for you to become an Ux fan with me. It's okay if your B is before D, but, but you, can, you can join me in cheering for them. Uh, Seriously, we start getting more cranky, more perfectionistic, more driven when we feel out of control. We easily become dominating, demanding, demeaning, and ultra protective. We see this in Genesis verse 16. It says, and you will desire to control, some translations say yearn for your husband, but he will rule over you. Some translations say yearn for, others say desire to control. What God is saying through the Hebrew word that he's chosen to communicate this is you will have these mixed up emotions of yearning for love and competing competition of needing control and they'll fight against each other within you. You see, the war of the sexes originated right here in our response to our sin. See, all the misunderstandings between men and women, husbands and wives, boyfriends and girlfriends, female bosses and male employees, and vice versa, all started here. But the issue, in the end, really isn't an issue of control. That's again just what we blame it on. The issue is an issue of trust. The reality is Adam and Eve had no more control before sin entered the world while they were still in paradise than after sin and brokenness and its effects became a part of creation. They were never in control, but something did change, and what changed was pure and simple, their trust in God. See, all three of these fears represent a brokenness of our trust in God. We don't trust who God is. We don't trust uh, who God made us to be. We don't trust God's order within reality. We don't trust God's intent to care for us fully and to be good to us. We take our trust away from God and we put it in ourselves, judging God, telling the God the way it should have been or the way it should be. God, I will follow you if you just prevent this bad thing from happening to my wife or daughter or sister or my brother or somebody dying from a disease. God, I would follow you if you just made my boss fair and did away with injustice, oppression and unfairness in general. See, the way we refresh our relationships with others and with God both is to take ownership of our lack of trust and to accept God's invitation to come out of hiding and face our fears. And that's only possible when we regularly allow ourselves to receive and soak in God's love, which is the antidote to fear. 1 John 4 says it this way. It says, perfect love expels all fear. Okay, I get that. But that's kind of a cliche, right? But the text goes on and says, if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love see, we hide because we fear punishment. We hide because we are uncertain of the response God or the other person we're dealing with is going to have toward us. So we hide and distance ourselves from others. And we need to challenge that. And John shows us how to challenge that. He says, we love each other because he loved us first. See, we don't, trust in our relationships because our fear has clouded the track record in which we can trust. All the times God has initiated love toward us directly or through people around us. Uh, certainly in our relationships with other people, there are instances of abuse that have gone on where that track record of trust isn't there with people. But, but if we're honest, the majority of our friendships and relationships we have, there is a track record that is there. We just don't see it or pay attention to it as much because of the cloud of fear. There is a track record of God loving you first before you ever loved him. It's found existentially in the truth of Jesus dying for your sins and paying your price on the cross. It's found in the stories of where Jesus tells us and shows us in the stories of the Gospels that he didn't come to condemn, but he, but he came to save. It's in the stories of Jesus healing people. It's even in the stories of Jesus asking people to be his followers who are despised by the culture of the day as the epitome of sinful, corrupt people like Matthew, the tax collector, like Simon, the zealot, who was a Jewish militant rebel. And there's a track record in your life, not just of those truths, but of the history of God's love in your life, even if your life has been something you would describe as hell. See, God has provided for you in intangible ways throughout your life, in ways that if you give yourself a minute to think, you could say, yeah. That time I expected things to be really bad and God provided. Uh, yeah, that time I expected to be rejected and instead God provided a, a loving person in my life who showed me grace and acceptance. Or that time I thought there was no way out. It was hopeless. Things were just going down the tombs and, and God made a way and, and here I still am today. And what happens often is our fear and lack of trust takes the wind out of our sails, of our relationships, whether friendships, bosses, marriage, or or family. So we lose sight of the track record, and instead we hide part of ourselves. We accuse, we lose trust, whether it is with God or with those closest to us. We focus on the cloud of doubt rather than on the history, the track record, the the good of others and God loving us first. We love each other. Other, even it says, because he first loved us. See how you think about and experience God's love, how well you recognize that track record of God's love toward you affects how you love others. uh, Wendy gave an illustration a few weeks ago of our daughter when she was a young teen coming to us to confess a sin that she said she needed to confess to us. And if you recall from that story, we we were really nervous thinking, oh, man, what on earth has she done? And and it was simply her coming to confess to us as a young teen that for years she had disobeyed us when we sent her to bed uh, by not brushing her teeth, which you recall made Wendy and I both want to laugh in that moment because we were expecting something so much more drastic, but we didn't because it was a serious moment, and it melted our hearts at how sensitive her heart was to God and wanting to be in right relationship. But even more than that, it melted our hearts because of her trust in us, of our track record with her of forgiving her and encouraging her and moving, allowing her to move out of hiding into a deeper, more free relationship with us. And you may recall Wendy's point made from that story. Why is it that we hide? When confession and coming out of hiding so often brings joy, freedom, relief, and peace to us. See, you're not stepping out of those places in which you're hiding right now that keep you from deep friendships into a vacuum because God loved you first. God is inviting you to refresh your relationships by allowing yourself to become vulnerable as hard as that is because it leads to freedom, to weight being lifted off your shoulders, to lightness, to joy, to refreshing. If you want to refresh and expand and deepen your friendships, then take the risk of becoming vulnerable with people around you. Don't do that foolishly. Don't, don't immediately spill your deepest, darkest secrets to the, to, the, to the stranger next to you unless God prompts you to do that to a really safe person you know. We all need a certain amount of boundaries in our life, but, but we are all so prone to these fears that we've talked about that unless we push back against them, they will creep in. So look around you to the people you've seen who've loved you first. People with a track record. Don't expect a perfect track record. Just look for people with a good track record in your life. No one has a perfect one. Or look to people who you've seen in other people's lives who, you, who have been that kind of friend to someone else. And this week, I want you to do something. I want you to identify an area of your life that, that you hide in fear of rejection or disapproval or you regularly are defensive about. And I want you to find a friend or two, maybe someone in your small group here at Quest, and risk being vulnerable. Share that with them. I mean, being vulnerable can be really hard. There can be a lot of pain and fear and often shame associated with those areas we hide. I I, I get that. But take the risk and see what God does. And, And if someone chooses you to be that one to whom they share vulnerably this week, Let me give you a tip. Just don't try to solve the problem they bring up. Just listen and care for them. And in that moment, pray with them right then. You see, God wants to refresh our relationships. He wants to add energy and strength to our growth in solid, beautiful friendships this year. So take a risk. Come out of hiding a little more each day and experience God refreshing you in your friendships. Would you stand to worship and join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here, that you are working among us right now to bring to mind the areas you want us to come out of hiding, to ask us the questions. Will you come? Why are you hiding? Will you come out into the open? And, and Lord, you're going to be there to help us find those relationships that can be safe, that can bring healing and, and wholeness to us. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just build us into such a strong community, even stronger than we are right now this year, that as the community around us looks at the kind of friendships we have and the kind of openness we have, the community around us would look and. Say, I want that. And through that, we would be able to lead people to how much you love them first. How good you have of a plan for them. In Jesus' name. Would you continue to worship? Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcasts, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag #GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.